0: Subscribe to The Spectator this Christmas and get the next 12 weeks of print and online access as well as a bottle of Paul Roger champagne, all for just £12. This offer is available in the UK only. Go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash Santa to subscribe.
1: Welcome to Holy Smoke, The Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. In this episode and I'm afraid speaking with a rather croaky voice, I interview Father John Lovell, who is president of something called the Coalition for Cancelled Priests. And by cancelled, he means priests who've been suspended from ministry by their bishops, on account, he says, of their conservative and traditional views, rather than any crimes they've committed. And Father Lovell, originally from Chicago, is one of those cancelled priests, In 2012, he was removed from ministry by his bishop, David Malloy, of the Diocese of Rockford, for reasons that, despite years of asking, have never been made entirely clear to him. I hope you enjoy this very wide-ranging discussion with Father Lovell, in which I ask him not just about the phenomenon of council priests, but about his own organisation and its links to right-wing traditionalist Catholics, some of whom are associated with the sort of conspiracy theories that I've been criticising for years. And I ask him why, in this time of crisis, Catholic conservatives are so appallingly disunited.
0: Welcome to Holy Smoke, Father. Can we start with a very basic question? What is a cancelled priest?
2: A cancelled priest is a priest that has done nothing wrong, but has basically been removed by his Bishop or his superior, because he stood up for the truth, whether that is preaching against abortion or contraception, standing up for the traditional Latin mass, something along those lines that gets him in trouble for, for lack of a better term. In the United States, cancel culture is very much alive. I don't know if it is in the UK, but it is very much alive in the United States where people, for saying simple things like a male is a male or a female is a female is being canceled. One um, example of that is the author and feminist J.K. Rowling. You know, she's being attacked for standing up for feminism, and it's interesting because we need to have a church that is standing up for the truth not cowing towards culture and the mob.
0: I particularly take your point about J.K. Roiling because I never liked her particularly. I didn't like the books. didn't like her particular brand of politics. But I thought the books were so badly written. But what really sickened me was the way that the cast of the Harry Potter films, who made millions, untold millions, out of her work, could not wait to dump on her. Well, she'd said something in my opinion, perfectly reasonable, but that might upset their work Hollywood friends. And that was, I thought that was a disgusting spectacle. But how has it spread to an institution which would once have been regarded as so conservative as the hierarchy of the Catholic Church in America?
2: I think it is because in the United States, while we have the so-called separation of church and state, The bishops are very much dependent on grants that are given by the government to do certain work. And the last thing that they want to do is upset the Democrat party. And that's one of the reasons why they cheer for them. It's not so much because they agree with the platform of the democratic party, which is pro abortion. It's because they get so much money when the Democrats are in control of the government, that they don't want to lose that sad to say, and they don't realize that their first job, for lack of a better term, is to stand up and be true pastors, to be true fathers, and to preach the truth. We need in this country, the United States, again, another Fulton Sheen. We need a bishop who's willing to stand up and say what is right and what is wrong. And we're not having that anymore. Give you a very good example. Bishop uh, Robert Barron is considered on the more conservative side, at least by some, and he was interviewed. He's been interviewed by the political commentator Ben Shapiro a few times. And he said to Ben, who's an Orthodox Jew, that Jesus Christ is the preferable way to heaven, to salvation. And as Catholics, we know that that's simply not true. Christ is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And we have to realize that we need to stand up and proclaim that, not nuance it in order not to offend somebody. If we read the letters of St. Paul, Paul was not going out across the Roman Empire trying to appease. He was trying to proclaim Christ crucified. And we as a church need to get back to that core tenet of preaching Jesus Christ as king.
0: Well, not to get too personal about it, but Bishop Barron strikes me as an example of what Max Weber called the routinization of charisma. When I was back, back in my days at the Catholic Herald, he was a very, very dynamic figure, somewhat outside of the system, despite being rector of the seminary in Chicago. Then he got made an auxiliary bishop, and I watched him become increasingly risk-averse. And this is a process that I've seen happen again and again and again. Actually, not just in the Catholic Church. I've seen... Anglican clergy who, on becoming bishops, seem to have their spine surgically removed during the course we of the joke, We
2: joke that it's part of the ordination rite of bishops to have your spine removed.
0: Yeah, I'm sure Lutherans make the same jokes if they have bishops. Some do. Are you, yourself, a cancelled priest?
2: I am. I've been cancelled for ten years. And oftentimes people ask me, well, Father, what did you do wrong? And I said, well, when you find out, let me know, uh, what I can tell you is in 2009, 2010, uh, that academic school year, I was a whistleblower. A student came to me. I was teaching at the local Catholic high school. A student came to me and she told me that she was being inappropriately touched by a lay female teacher. I reported that as it is the law in the state of Illinois, as it is in most states, I'm sure in the UK as well. And shortly after that, I started getting moved and I started being put in difficult situations with difficult liberal pastors. And the vicar of clergy basically wanted to make it seem like that I was unpastoral, that I was arrogant, that I couldn't work with people. And the bishop at the time, Bishop Thomas Doran, who ordained me, would not have any of it. He supported me and he allowed me to keep ministering. He even sent me to Dominican house of studies in Washington, DC, which is the Dominican, uh, theologate in order to work on a license in sacred theology and a doctorate in sacred theology. And I was home on summer break. This is now July of 2012. And we have a new Bishop David Malloy. At the time, he's still the Bishop of Rockford 10 years later. And he called me into his office. He wasn't even a Bishop for six weeks and he removed me and he tried to suspend me, Rome overturned that immediately. And so what he did was he basically sidestepped canon law and restricted my ministry in quote, a non-penal non-judicial way. Now, Damien, for you and for your audience in England, if you think that this is just Americans once again screwing around with the English language, I can tell you right now, even in America, non-penal, non-judicial way is complete and utter gibberish. It makes absolutely no sense.
0: Does it exist in canon law as a concept? No,
2: it does not. And not only that, in canon law, there has to be a serious reason to remove a priest's faculties, especially to hear confession. A serious, a serious delict, a crime, has to be committed in order to remove a priest's faculties, universal faculties, by you, to hear confessions. And what they're doing is they're sidestepping this, saying, well, it's not canonical, it's not judicial, it's not penal, it's administrative. And so I appealed this to the Congregation for Clergy in Rome, this is when there still was a Congregation for Clergy. And they basically came back and said, well, the bishop can remove a priest's faculties for any reason or for no reason at all, but as long as it's temporary. And they never defined what temporary is. And now we're going on in the second decade of me being out of ministry. And there's about a dozen priests in my diocese. We started to discover priests all over the country and the world are basically being sidelined, not because they did something wrong, but simply because they stood up for the truth. And it's not just the Latin Mass; it's not just abortion. It's for some tenet of the faith they're being sidelined. And so we came up with the term "cancel priests" because it aptly shows that these priests actually they didn't do anything wrong. They were just simply standing up for Catholic tenets. the catholic faith
0: but what specific reason did the bishop give for this strange canonical or invented canonical sanction what did he say to you what did he what did he tell you you had done wrong
2: he was very clear that i had not committed a crime but that he heard from other people concerns and basically what i like to call in the decree that he has against me in this non-penal, non-judicial way, he lists a bunch of adjectives. You know, he says again that I'm arrogant, I'm unpastoral. He likes to say that I am um, not able to work in in a parish setting, that others don't get along with me. And I've had the little paperwork I have on my case, I've shown it to psychologists, I've shown it to lawyers, I've shown it to canon lawyers. And they've all, independently of each other, come back and said to me, Father, it doesn't look like the bishop thinks you've done something wrong. It looks like he's worried that if he keeps you in ministry, that you will do something wrong. And that's quite interesting because, as you know, Damien, we're all capable of great sin. We're all capable of doing something horrendous as human beings. But we don't punish people in advance committing a crime. So now, some would say that in this climate, that the bishop is just being prudent, that if he thinks that a a priest has a problem, that it would be good for him to remove them. But I always like to say this, that a priest deserves, just like everyone else, the presumption of innocence until proven guilty.
0: Surely, this is an absolutely extraordinary argument, that you might commit some sort of offence. What sort of offence did he think you might be disposed to commit? He did not say.
2: One thing I can tell you is that he tried to send my case when it was in Rome. He tried to send it to the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, saying, "Well, we're worried that Father Lovell might have tendencies towards abusing children," which is an extraordinary accusation to make against one of your priests, especially when there was no accusation or allegation against me. And Congregation for Doctrine of Faith came back and said, "No, there's nothing here." There's no evidence that Father Lovell would commit any crime. There's no evidence that Father Lovell has committed a crime. Why are you sending this to us? And so they sent it back to the Congregation for Clergy. But one thing I discovered through my canon lawyers, Bishop Beloy sent it to the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith because he knew it was going to sit on a desk for several years. And it did. It sat on a desk. And finally, I had to send one of my canon lawyers, who's in Rome, over there basically every day to pester them to look at it. And they came back and they said, Father Lovell's not committed, has not done anything to warrant this. And they sent it back to clergy.
1: Surely, Father, if he says
0: that he thinks you're disposed to commit a particularly grave crime and sin, and he has no reason, he can give no reason to back up his suspicions, you should just sue him.
2: Trust me, I would. Uh, in the state of Illinois, we have what's called the Ecclesiastical Abstention Doctrine. It is very strong that the state will not butt in to church affairs. I'll, let me give you an example. In the state of Illinois, which is what we call a blue state, it's a very liberal state, run by the Democrats, has been for decades, sure, not centuries. Yeah. Um, it delivered the, gov- the
0: presidency to John F. Kennedy. Yeah, the, the it, governor yeah.
2: tried to give us severe lockdowns. For everyone, including religious houses and Protestants, not Catholics, Protestants thought this on the grounds that the state of Illinois cannot interfere with public worship. And it was about to go to the Supreme Court when the governor and one of the most liberal states in the United States came out and said, no, it's just optional for houses of worship. And what happens, all the bishops of Illinois, there's six dioceses in Illinois, the Archdiocese of Chicago, Rockford, and so on. They basically said, no, we're still going to follow what the governor wants. We're going to keep our churches closed. And what an extraordinary event that it's actually the Protestants using the laws that were put in place to protect the Catholic Church in order to stay open. This is the crazy age that we live in. And what happened was at a certain point, getting back to my case, Rome said to Bishop Beloyed, you have to show Father Lovell his file. In every diocese, every priest has a file. And it has, you know, everything from your physicals to your grades at seminary to uh, letters that people wrote commending you or negative letters as well. And so we started going through this file. It took my canon lawyer and me about seven hours to go through all the paperwork. What we come to discover, there was no mention of the fact that I was a whistleblower 12 years ago. And we started to piece together that basically they started to go after me because of this. They're trying to cover up the fact that I was a whistleblower and they're trying to cover up the fact that there was something going wrong at that high school. And we see that time and time again McCarrick is the biggest scandal in the United States. But we're seeing this time and time again where they're covering up for abusers. And they're going after priests that are not abusers, like myself, but simply because they're scapegoating us.
0: Well, if I could give you a particularly alarming example of that, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, Bishop Gustavo Zanqueta was convicted of crimes of sexual abuse, given a very strange... Quotes, imprisonment in a retreat house in the diocese where he committed these offences. He is extremely close to Pope Francis, who, as you know, created a special job which basically hindered the work of the Argentinian prosecutors. And now they're going after the people who accused Bishop Zanqueta, which is one of those scandals that it baffles me that the wider Catholic Church doesn't spend more time talking about it. Perhaps you could give me some other examples of cancelled priests and the reasons why they've been, as you put it, canceled.
2: Well, and I can give you a a very specific example close to my heart. As I mentioned in my diocese, which is Rockford, Illinois, there's over 12 priests that have been canceled. The tipping point in Rockford for us starting the coalition, which is now international, is a priest named Father James Parker. Father James Parker was a traditional minded priest. He did not celebrate the traditional mass, but he was just simply a conservative. He celebrated the Novus Ordo Mass very reverently. He encouraged confession. He wore his cassock. He invited Bishop Schneider, Athanasius Schneider, to speak at his uh, church, at his parish. Oh, that would be a black
0: mark. That would be a very black mark, yeah.
2: Of course, and it was. It was very much so. He encouraged his people to receive communion on the tongue and kneeling. He wanted to put an altar rail in and he was pastor there for seven years, he was beloved. Well, the bishop came for confirmations, refused to even speak to him, and did the confirmations and left. And the next Monday, the vicar of clergy calls Father Parker and says, Father Parker, you've been at Holy Cross for seven years now, the bishop is removing you as pastor, and he's not giving you an assignment you're going to have to find your own place to live, which, again, goes against canon law. Now, a bishop is not required to give a priest an assignment. He is required to give him housing. Well, Father Parker did the smart thing in contacting me and several others and saying, what are my canonical rights here? And so we got him in contact with a good canon lawyer, and he started to fight this. And that's how the coalition was born, because what Bishop aloy has done now with several priests is he hasn't removed their faculties, like he's trying to do with me in this non penal non-judicial way. He just simply doesn't give them an assignment. And we argue that he has to give Father Parker a place to live. And so what happens, the diocese backtrack and says, oh no, we offered him a place to live, Father Parker refused to take it, which is a bold-faced lie. It's as simple as that. Why would Father Parker make something like that up? And so he started to fight for his parish and to remain his pastor. And I think what a lot of people on this channel need to realize in canon law, a pastor cannot be removed unless he's done something serious. This is why a pastor always has to, in writing, resign the parish. Until he does that, he is still a pastor. And I always encourage priests that are pastors do not sign anything that resigns the parish because you lose so many rights as a priest when you're a pastor when you are do that. I'm sorry, I keep saying pastor. That's what we say in the United States. Yeah. I think yes. in uh, England you say parish priest, we do, yeah. and, uh, which is the more correct term, the parochus. But we always tell them fight that because Rome is very strict about removing priests as pastors, and they, they need to stand up and fight for their parish.
1: So
0: you're planning to hold... The second annual conference of the Coalition for Canceled Priests. Yes. If you could you tell me just a little bit about that organization, how many priests support it? I see some fairly prominent names going to be speaking at your conference.
2: Yes, so our conference is on June 23rd and 24th. We always hold a June 24th as our founding day, the Feast of St. John the Baptist. He's our primary patron after Our Lady, and... We basically, in less than two weeks in 2021, we threw together a thousand person event in order to stand up for Father Parker and for Castle Priests across uh, Illinois. Father uh, Altman came and spoke, and that is basically initiated the coalition. And so a year later, this past June, we, we held our first conference and was a huge success. And we're now holding our second conference uh, near O'Hare Airport. And uh, we encourage people to come. But we're helping basically about 50 priests right now. According to our Priestly Assistance Coordinator, we're helping a new priest every nine days. Mostly in the United States, but we do have some from South America as well as Europe and Africa. For those that wonder how do we vet them, you can go to our website, cancelpriest.org, and you can see the application that priests have to fill out. In order to get support, and we do as an extensive, extensive a background check as we can. We've had FBI agents, good FBI agents, look at our process, and they thought it was very good. Uh, and we also have some lay Catholics who are retired from the intelligence agencies of the United States government help us uh, when it comes to the background check, because we want to make sure that the priests we're helping are actually canceled. They're not priests that have done something wrong. Because, Damien, a lot of times people will ask me, well, what's the difference between a canceled priest that did nothing wrong and a canceled priest that did something wrong? And I said, well, if a priest did something wrong and was removed, that's not being canceled. That's justice. So we're trying to help as many priests as we can and get the word out. And right now about 50, which I still think is a small number, because I'm going to guess that there's probably 500 to 1,500 priests in the United
0: States that are cancelled right now. Well, I took a look at your website, and now I have to raise what might be a slightly difficult question, which is, it's always frustrated me enormously that the Catholics who should be opposing some of the many outrageous acts of this pontificate For example, its encouragement of pro-abortion, so-called Catholic politicians, its crushing of the traditional Latin mass on the basis of a bogus survey, the untold millions it's spending on uh, what I regard as a completely phony synod, and the many, many attempts to hide Pope Francis's own complicity in the concealment of sex abuse, particularly by his Latin American allies. The Catholics who should be opposing this are divided. And as time goes on, they seem to be becoming more and more divided into different camps. So when I look at a group of conservative Catholics, and your organisation is a group of conservative Catholics, you know, I immediately flick over the list of speakers and work out, I'm sorry to say, well, which faction do they belong to? What's their emphasis? Are they integralists? Are they traditionalists with a weakness for conspiracy theorists? Are they a, a different sort of homosexuality-obsessed hardliners represented by church militant? Which gang of conservatives, as it were, do they belong to? And when I went to your website, I instantly thought, aha, it's that crowd, by which I mean traditionalists with, I think, a weakness for conspiracy theories. Now, I'm sorry if this comes across as hostile, but I did my no. PhD and um was a study, a sociological study of how conspiracy theories operate within a church setting. It was a Pentecostal church, as it happens, but actually I think they operate pretty much the same way in many milieu. I've also written another book um, called Counter-Knowledge, which is about the, the, the spread of um, dubious, unchecked information, most of it taking the form of conspiracy theories, covering any topic, any discipline you care to name in society. And I do see that your organisation is backed by some people who I do regard as conspiracy theorists. And I've had this argument with them. For example, LifeSite News does some excellent reporting, breaks stories that nobody else does. And then it goes and ruins it by appending to the bottom of the story, stuff about the new world order and just the rhetoric that I've been familiar with since I started studying this subject in the 90s, given a Catholic flavor, but essentially the same stories, the same rumors, the same myths. I see your organization has the blessing of Archbishop Viganò. Well, there's a time when that would have been a wonderful thing, but no longer. I think he's completely out of lunch now. I really do. Having blown the whistle on Pope Francis, basically, who was told about McCarrick, and as so often as trying to conceal the fact. Vigano then seems to have been, in my opinion, hijacked by a group of conspiracy-obsessed traditionalists and started talking absolute nonsense, indistinguishable from the, you know, the nonsense I hear from some crazy Pentecostal pastors. And worse than that, uh, emerged as a major and disgusting apologist for Putin's barbaric activities in the Ukraine. So this is a problem for me. It's also a problem when I see the name Father James Altman. Now, Father Altman's been very forthright in his insistence that you cannot be a Catholic and vote Democrat. And I think that that's an absolutely defensible position because the capture of the Democratic Party by hard-line pro-abortionists is an absolutely horrific thing. And the Church, I think, is profoundly complicit in not drawing attention to it, in excusing those politicians who are pushing a culture, of, a culture of death, a really terrifying culture of you know, late-term abortions. But we see horrible things happening. So when Archbishop Cordiglione, quite rightly, according to the rules of the Catholic Church, tells Nancy Pelosi that she ought to present herself in communion, immediately she's in Rome and the Pope is fawning over her. And this has happened several times. But it does not help. First of all, Father ortman 's rhetoric is very, very colourful. Okay. Fair enough, we know where he's coming from. It's extremely colourful. But his association with what I really would call the American far right is troubling. You Google his name and you arrive at a sermon he gave in which he's more or less trying to put the phenomenon of lynching in the South in a more favourable light by describing it as capital punishment for acts of rape and homicide. Actually, it was nothing of the sort, because there was no trial. It's just that capital punishment is, is, is as obnoxious as suggesting that what happened to you was due process of law. And I'm kind of thinking, I see the name Altman, and I switch off. I know he's a good communicator, but I, I hear some of the stuff he's saying, I hear this talk about the Great Reset, and I'm just taken back 5, 10, 20 years to all my time with these Pentecostal pastors, same stories, same lack of hard evidence. And part of me thinks, well, I'm not surprised he got himself cancelled because if I had been a parishioner in his church and I'd heard what he said about lynching, and it is, unfortunately for him, it was taped, I would have walked out and I'd never have gone near that church again. Do you take my point? And I hope you're not too offended by my making
2: it. No, I'm not offended at all. Um, you know, we, we try to be a coalition in the true sense of the word. And one thing, at least in the United States, whether it's political or ecclesiastical, conservatives, traditionalists, whatever term you want to use, would rather fight each other than unite. And what we try to do here at the coalition is try to rise above that. While we have Father Altman from time to time to speak, if you look at the talks that he gives at our events, which is once, twice a year. They are not the rhetoric that you get from the far right. We try to avoid that. We do have the blessing of Archbishop Bigano.
0: For and, what that is worth, uh, which is zero. Yeah. It's, worth, yeah. it's, it's worth less than zero. I mean.
2: I can tell you right, right now, we've had major disagreements with Archbishop Bigano on certain things.
0: Well, the man has gone uh, mad, and he's basically, yeah. he's basically wrecked the incredibly valuable whistleblowing that he did. No, no,
2: and, and I completely understand that, but, you know, what I look at here in the Church of the United States is on the so-called right, maybe the best term to use is the orthodox side of the church, you have, and I hate using political terms, but you have the neocons, which would be the George Weigels, the J.D. Flynn's,
0: is J.D. Flynn a neocon? I don't think he would
2: answer well, to that discussion. But but. I'm going to go through the three groups and, and give a caveat. Then you have the charismatics. Those would be the stupid bills and, and such. And then you have the traditionalists, okay? There are certain people like J.D. Flynn that don't necessarily fit snugly into one of those groups. And I'm going to tell you this. Dr. Scott Hahn rightly said that with traditionalists, there's three types of traditionalists. Rad-trads, bad-trads, and glad-trads. And Dr. Scott Hobbs said, he says, I hope I'm a glad-trad. And I took that and I looked at it, and I thought it could be applied easily to the neocons and to the charismatics. You have hardliners, you have, for lack of a better term, cranks in all of those groups. People that take a very hard position on certain things and will not let go. And we try to rise above that.
0: May I just suggest that you know, by having Father James hey, lynching wasn't necessarily all that bad, Altman? At your conference, you're not necessarily helping yourself.
2: I don't disagree with what you're what what you're proposing. He believes that he is take that he was taken out of context. Oh, I that's that's
0: complete like, rubbish. I've it's absolute oh, oh, rubbish.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm not defending him. Yeah. Let, let me make it clear: I'm not de- defending him. But what I am doing is is I'm realizing that. We have to hold each other to account, but at the same time, we, we can't nuke bridges. You know, we have, to, we have to work with certain people. I've had certain people that refuse to speak to us or communicate with us because they think we're connected with church militants and Michael Boris. I've never been interviewed by Michael Boris. Church militant has covered us, but that's kind of like saying, well, CNN, you were on CNN the other night. You know, and I'm like, Oh, well, was I interviewed on CNN? No, you were just covered by them. Well, that doesn't mean that I'm endorsing CNN or that CNN is endorsing us. They're just simply covering
0: us. If I can just ask you about what a relatively new phenomenon, which is that another camp has emerged. They may have been covered by one of the categories you mentioned, but they're those Catholics who, to my mind, are wasting everybody's time in this crazy utopian integralist project to try and turn the United States into, well, they say it's not a theocracy, but if you read the Integralist Handbook, it's basically you know, a barking mad political project that is going to get absolutely nowhere and will do nothing except further divide Catholics from each other, and incidentally, is also well disposed towards the People's Republic of China because it upholds certain traditional family values. You know, over the last two years, I would say that relations between conservative Catholics have become very significantly worse. And for those of us who think that the emphasis should be on what Francis is doing, the terrible things that Francis is doing, for those of us who, and I've been very open about this, think he should be removed from office, it's so dispiriting to see yeah. all these different camps. The traditional masses, you know, people are being locked out of their places of worship in one of the most grotesque yeah. pieces of bullying hypocrisy that I've ever witnessed.
2: I agree with you, and you even have, when it comes to Francis now, among conservative, traditional Catholics, whatever term you want to use, you have now even serious people who are calling into question whether or not Francis was, is actually
0: the valid Pope. Yeah, the problem is they don't use particularly convincing arguments no, when they do I that. that. Because but... you, you, that. Because then you're off into self of land, and I have seen... A friend of mine's family has been torn apart by a set of accountants' sect. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, you know, I loathe this particular sect. I hate them for what they've done to this family. And
2: and it's not only, it's not only set of accountants, it's, you now have a group that are basically saying that Benedict is still Pope. So they'll say, we're not set of we believe that Benedict is Pope. This is a serious problem. And I agree
1: They're with even you. crazy. Let me tell that you, Father.
0: Needs to be removed. In my experience, the Benevacantists are more crazy, more toxic, more aggressive, more out to lunch than the Catech God knows what the Pope Emeritus makes of them. Although I'll, I'll oh, find I find it, it, it hard to forgive listen, him for resigning. I have it, to say it,
2: it, there, there is there is a lot of confusion out there. There's no doubt. I can say this when you get back to our speakers list. When you look at some who are speaking. You have some like Dr. Peter Prostevsky who's very solid on the liturgy. And he tries to stay out of politics as best as he can. I thought he wrote an excellent book called True Obedience. Then you have others like Dr. Janet Smith. You also have some like John Henry Weston. As you mentioned, LifeSight like, could do excellent work.
0: And, and then sabotages should, I, it with its other conspiracy things. Theory, I, I understand right? that.
2: Yeah. But I, I think you're going to see, through our speakers... A wide range of people that don't necessarily agree on everything, but they are willing to put aside their differences to come out and stand up for canceled priests. And sad to say, not everybody's willing to do that. I personally, and maybe it's just because I'm from the south side of Chicago, I would love to host a debate like between John Henry Weston and Michael Morris. That will never happen. But you know, I think I, I think debate as long as it's done in a professional way can be a good thing, but, you know, what we have on, on, on the right, on the Catholic right, in, with most traditionalists and conservatives across the globe, is they would rather just excommunicate each other, call each other schismatic, and not try to work together. And I'm going to tell you this right now, we see that with traditionalists, again, because you have several who will say, well, Francis is a Pope, Benedict is Pope, or they're set of a contest. Then you'll have some who will say, oh, no, Putin, like, like Archbishop Figaro. Putin, Putin is a godsend, you know, but then you'll have other traditionalists, and I consider myself one of this. I think Putin's a gangster. I sure. honestly do.
0: Yeah.
2: Now, at the same time, I'm not I'm not supporting Zelensky. I'm not saying that the that Ukrainian government doesn't have problems. To be honest with you, I don't know much about what's going on in Ukraine. All I know is tanks rolling across Europe. Really, tanks rolling across anywhere is
0: not a good thing. And Vigano is there on the sidelines applauding them, which is really, really disgusting. Let me say something that will probably losing me half my podcast listeners just in one sentence, which is, I would like to have a debate with Father James Martin because I've read three books by him and I think there's a lot of good in him. And I've had friends who've been helped, not gay friends, incidentally, who've been helped by some of his spiritual writing, and I've been moved by some of his spiritual writing, and I've also been driven absolutely up the wall by the way he's been captured by the LGBT+ plus lobby, now speaks entirely in their jargon, which is such a shame when you consider his background as a young priest working in the slums of, of the West Indies, really, really committed, walking away from a career in Wall Street, so impressive, and now he's just mouthing their jargon interesting and it's rarely pointed out he doesn't challenge catholic teaching as forthrightly as he might but he's not being helped i don't think well first of all by his own refusal to talk to anybody who's not on his own side but also by the way that he's being manipulated by somebody who i think is a far worse priest and that is pope francis i mean james martin's ordination i kind of went wrong i think in the sense that he got hijacked by a lobby group but Francis should never have been ordained in the first place, given what we know about, and you can't say this about Father Martin, his complicity in hiding really serious sexual crimes by his allies. And in this terrible moment for the Church, the writers just flinging mud at each other, and if you even mention the name James Martin and say, well, I think there's some good in him, which I do, I don't think there's some good in some of his allies. In fact, I think some of his allies are... Utterly obnoxious people. But if you even suggest that, then it's like excommunicated. Oh, how dare yeah. you? How dare you? So that's where I'm heterodox.
2: But, and, and not only that, but but Damien, the duplicity from Pope Francis over homosexuality. You know, if you listen, at least at the beginning, to Vigano and his first conversation with Pope Francis, it seemed like Pope Francis basically said to him, I do not want any homosexuals becoming bishops or even priests. I know of, I can't remember the bishop, but one of the U.S. bishops at an ad limina visit, I don't want to say confronted, that's too strong of a word, but asked Pope Francis about his first meeting with James Martin. This was a few years ago. And Pope Francis again took the line saying, I don't agree with everything that he does. But then he turns around and has more meetings with him, has meetings with gay couples, you know, seems to embrace them, give them his blessing. And some people say, well, this is just how Argentinians act, this duplicity. And it's just very sad to see because the confusion coming out of Rome is probably the worst in 2,000
0: years. Well, I just wonder when gay Catholics will wake up to the fact that the Pope really doesn't like them very much, but he uses them. The reason he sees gay Catholic campaigners, or for that matter... American politicians who vigorously promote abortion while calling themselves Catholic is because it goads the Catholic right. And his hatred for the Catholic right seems to be, to be pretty nearly his overriding motivation, his great mission as Pope, is to tweak the tales of anybody who might be considered an American conservative. And that's a terrible thing for somebody who's supposed to be supreme pastor of the entire church, I think.
2: Oh, it, it absolutely is. I mean, you know, he's... He's the Pontifius Maximus. He's supposed to be the greatest bridge builder, and he's not. And just to kind of get back to who we deal with, with the coalition, is we'd rather be bridge builders than destroyers. And we're going to try to have dialogue with as many as that we can, because first and foremost, we can't overlook the fact that many priests are simply being canceled for standing up for the truth. And when I'm saying canceled, I mean they're getting their pay cuts. They're not able to afford to live, even, even above the poverty line. I mean, they're literally in poverty, some of these priests. And I want to make sure that priests know that they're always going to have an organization that is going to stand up for them and for their rights. It's as simple as that.
0: I listened to an interview you gave in which you said something, Father, that I, I agree with very much, which is obviously you support that church is teaching on homosexuality. But you said, really what's driving this is a culture of ambition. And I've seen it in the Catholic Church in England, whereas I've also seen it in the Church of England, which I used to cover when I was a religious correspondent of the Telegraph. And it's a mafia of the mediocre. Mediocre people, mediocre jargon-spouting people who are at the same time intensely ambitious, who love to sit on committees, who love to tell other people what to do, who have their little fan club of rather ambitious power crazed lay people to back them up. And, you know, whether they're gay or straight or whatever their particular cause is, it seems to me that there's an overriding bureaucratic culture in which mediocre people basically dance to whatever the fashionable tune of the moment is.
2: They need to stop moving bishops. When, when you're made a bishop somewhere, Unless you've committed a serious crime, you're there until retirement or death. It's as simple as that. There should not be this transferring. I mean, Cardinal McCarrick was bishop in four different places. Cardinal Gregory, three or four different places. This needs to stop because, again, once careerism stops, and I'm not saying it's going to ever happen before Christ returns, but we need to fight this careerism because I think that's the overarching thing. I'm tired of just saying, well, they're homosexuals or the Lavender Mafia, as that being the reason. I, I think that homosexuality in the clergy is a problem. I think the Lavender Mafia is real. But at the same time, I think this careerism is what's driving most of this. And we need to stop that. We, we need to stop having bishops thinking, and I think my bishop thinks this, that the Diocese of Rockford is basically a stepping stone to a larger diocese or to a red hat. And it really needs to stop. And I, I think even on the diocesan level, I think priests need to stop being moved around so much. There's no stability here in the United States. You know, it's getting to the point where they like, they like to say, well, the rule is you're a pastor for six years with, with the opportunity to renewal for another six years. But I, I know priests that are getting moved every two, three years. How can you establish a relationship with your community, with your flock, if you keep being moved every few years? And it also gives the lady the opportunity to say, well, we don't like them. If we can play it enough, they'll just move them. That's a serious problem.
0: And another serious problem is when a red hat descends on the head of, of all people, Robert McElroy, who faces very serious questions about what he knew about McCarrick, as do a number of, a significant number of cardinals who are in his circle and who are being protected by the Pope. And it's for that reason that I slightly despair at the disunity and the, the utopianism and the conspiracy theories and the name calling, not that I haven't been guilty of that myself, among conservative Catholics, because you're just handing ammunition to people who will sit there and defend something as outrageous as making Robert McElroy a Cardinal.
2: I completely understand. And what what's amazing is they had the opportunity to make Archbishop Gomez who was president of the USCCB, he just stepped down, the Archbishop of the largest Catholic diocese in the United States, if not the Western Hemisphere. The Archdiocese of Los Angeles is bigger than all of Ireland. And they passed him up, a Hispanic, to give a red hat to one of his suffragette bishops. And I I tell you, I mean, it's really, when it comes to bishops in this country, at least in the United States, it's rare that you're made a cardinal if you don't have an Irish last name. And it's quite sad. And that's that's not a disparaging remark against the Irish. It's just, if you look at at the history of the hierarchy of the United States, it's been controlled by those of Irish descent for so long. And could you imagine if McElroy was a conservative and the Pope was a conservative and they bagged past Gomez, who was a liberal, they would be throwing a fit say, why, why is he not, as a Hispanic, not being given the red hat? It's just, to me, sheer hypocrisy to, to see that happen.
0: And just, just, just to point out, for the benefit of those who don't know, the United States has never had a Hispanic cardinal ever. And we should. Of course <laughs> you should. It's, yeah. it, but until a Hispanic cardinal, at least under this pontificate, produces precisely the right political and theological message is aligns himself with a particular faction that seems to control just about everything in Rome then it won't happen i guess we just have to wait and see what happens over the next few years but i i refuse to believe that the next pontificate can be worse than this one father and i suspect you agree i agree but look at the
2: cardinals he is making you know i mean he doesn't know them a lot of
0: them he doesn't know somebody did a list of them pointing out that they weren't necessarily as hardline liberal as it's assumed that they are but we'll just have to wait and see but given that by saying this one is no longer wishing death on a pope because they can resign in my opinion it can't happen soon enough
2: i completely agree with you on that
0: father thank you very much for joining me